you know that sometimes uh, we take seriously what God takes seriously, but other times what God takes seriously, we don't take seriously. Have you ever run into that dynamic in your life that you think, yeah, this is really important, and then you discover, you know, that's not really that important to God. It's not that he doesn't care about things that we care about, but the things that God takes seriously can just, would just surprise you. And, and I wanted, we're going to start through the book of Jonah. We finished Ruth, and we're still in the Old Testament. We're going to read through the book of Jonah for the next few weeks. And this story begins with a prophet, Jonah, learning the hard way what God takes seriously. Because what Jonah took seriously wasn't what God took seriously. And what God took seriously wasn't what Jonah took seriously. And how many of you know, God has a way of getting your attention and, and, and just bringing you into alignment with, with his values. So if you have a Bible with you, you could open it to the book of Jonah. And if you want to use one of the paperback Bibles like this, under the chair seats in front of you, we're going to start reading in page 644. And the, the answer to what does God take seriously is in this first chapter, it's, it's captured in three phrases. As we read through the first chapter, you're going to see three phrases. And each phrase is just sort of something that unfolds. And there's a whole story uh, associated with it. And the first phrase is a great word. And the second phrase is a great wind. And the third phrase is a great fish. And most of you, you know, you have some kind of an idea. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. What is that all about? Well, that's what this first chapter is about. But it's, this book was written sometime after the exile, when the Jews returned to Israel, after they were exiled and sent to Babylon and all over the world. And God was getting their attention and beginning to just unfold to them where they'd missed it. Uh, it's hard for us because the United States has been sort of since our, our birth, we've been through wars and things, but our nation in many ways has been in an ascendancy. Our, our nation keeps growing. It seems to keep prospering. And it, it, it keeps uh, being more and more influential. But we, so it's hard for us as a nation, even though we've had some really painful setbacks, to have really much grasp of, of the, the hole that Israel dug itself into and when it came out of it, it was disoriented. It had been 70 years scattered all over the world, and the Jewish people were coming back. And books like Jonah were written by what we call the minor prophets to speak into Israel's heart. And then what we know is these Old Testament books were meant to speak to those who are the followers of Jesus, too, and to, and to inform us and shape us. And so we're going to start reading at verse 1, and if you have that, the book of Jonah open with me. Let's start right there. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me.
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, which is a, a seaport, and he found a ship bound for that port for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So it says the word of the Lord. So God's word, when it comes to us, it, it, doesn't, it isn't just like sound that we hear. What you understand when you begin to see these stories is God's word comes and with it, power comes. Things start happening. The ball starts rolling. And Jonah, it says, hears God speak to him. And it's, it's a powerful thing. And the first thing God says to him is, Jonah, get up and go. And you're going to see that phrase again later in the chapter. But what it means, it's an unusual kind of a phrase. Because the prophets weren't typically spoken to by God this way. It, the, the way that Jonah was posturing himself at this point, this word from God to get up and to wake up implies that Jonah was not really in a good place spiritually. That he really wasn't positioned with his heart open to God. He wasn't like positioned in, in a healthy, loving way towards his neighbors. That he was just in a bad place. And God comes to him and says, Jonah, get up. Get on your feet and go. In other words, you know, I've made you for something. And here's what I want you to do. And so he says, go and preach against Nineveh because its evil has gotten my attention. Now, you know, this sounds kind of like an ominous word. And it is, in a sense, because God's going to send Jonah with a warning to Nineveh. Because Nineveh, as what we know about the, the city of Nineveh and the, the nation that, the, that Nineveh was the capital of was, in the ancient world, it was the most violent, cruel nation that ever, that anybody's ever discovered, ever heard of. The Ninevites were just bad folks, and they were bitter enemies of Israel. Israel, like we said a couple of weeks ago, we were talking through the book of Ruth, same thing. Israel was surrounded by enemies. So Jonah, instead of doing what God said, he, it says he runs away from the presence of the Lord. Now, it says he runs from the Lord here, but the word the Lord in Hebrew means the presence of God. So Jonah is running from God, but not just God, but he's running from God's manifest presence that came to him that he lived with. Because God's presence... <laughs> was pointed towards Nineveh. God's heart, in fact, this whole book of Jonah is, is this unveiling of God's heart. You're going to see through this story that the heart of Jonah, even though he was a prophet, was not like God's heart. And so God's trying to align Jonah with his heart. And God cares about the people in Nineveh. He sees what their evil is doing to them and to other people. And he wants to change that. And he wants to use uh, Jonah as, as his representative. But Jonah goes, I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with the Assyrians, who, who are the, that, that's, that's the nation that Nineveh was the capital of. And so he hates the Assyrians. And as you'll find in chapter 4, when he goes there, he says, 
to God after he goes and he preaches, and all the and Nineveh just is really dramatically impacted and transformed. He gets really upset and he goes, "That's why I didn't want to go because I knew you're going to show mercy on him," and he didn't want to show mercy on him. <laughs> that sounds weird, you know, a, a preacher that doesn't want to show mercy on people. Oh yeah. That is way more common than you would think. And Nineveh wasn't, I mean, excuse me, Jonah wasn't the first one, and he wasn't ever the last one either. So Jonah runs away from his calling to represent God in the world. This is what this whole first chapter is about. Jonah was supposed to represent God to Nineveh, to the world. And Jonah ran from that. In fact, the whole Jewish people were made as a people to represent God to the world. That's what God takes seriously. One of the things he takes seriously in the world is that his people would represent him to the world appropriately and faithfully. And so Israel was this prophetic people. In fact, let me read you a passage in Isaiah 59. This, this is one of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages I could read you. But this is what God said to Israel. Because Israel was called... The servant of the Lord. And in verse 6, God speaks to them and says, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So God wanted this little group of people called Israel, this, this, this group of nobodies, to bring the good news about his salvation to the whole world. Remember we talked about salvation. It's wholeness in every dimension of life. Wholeness spiritually. Wholeness socially. Wholeness health. Wholeness financially. Wholeness in every dimension of life. That that's God's heart for the whole world. And that's, that was God's heart for Nineveh. And that should have been God's I mean, uh, Jonah's heart, but it wasn't. And it's kind of a surprise. You know, we read this and we think, well, wasn't Jonah a good guy? He was. But even good guys can really get off track. And so the church is called also, Jesus said, you and I are called to be salt and light. And salt means a, a, a way of life that represents him, that he works into the world and begins to change the world. And there were and they were also supposed to be the lie of the world, which were supposed to communicate the good news about Jesus and his ways to people. So salt and light. And Jesus warns, just like he warned Jonah. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's not worth anything. If, if you take the light and you put it under a bushel or under anything, it's not worth anything. Because light is to illuminate. and Salt is to do its work. So... Jonah runs the opposite direction. So if you can imagine, if you looked at the nation of Israel, this little skinny, skinny strip of land, Syria would be to the east, or I mean, excuse me, Assyria would be to the east. Jonah went west, the opposite direction. Got in a ship that was going in the opposite direction. That's where these first three verses end. And so Tarshish represents doing anything but what God wants. Even if it's something good, even if it's something calls for sacrifice. And Jesus said, and the Old Testament said the same thing. He said, I don't, I'm not calling for sacrifice, I'm calling for obedience. 
it's a challenging thing. Another thing, it says, and this is what happens to us, is God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you go, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going the other direction. And then it says he went down to the port. And he, sure enough, he found a boat going where he wanted to go. You can always find God giving you a boat to let you do what you want to do. Did you know that? How many of you know that like the devil has a whole fleet of boats, <laughs> right? <laughs> whatever, whatever shape boat you want that'll let you go where you want, he will make sure that you encounter that boat and just think, isn't this perfect? This must be the Lord. I didn't hear God. God doesn't want me to go to, to Nineveh. He, he really wants me to be comfortable. He wants me to have this sailboat. <laughs> no. It doesn't work that way. So I want to ask you a question. Are you running from anything? Are you running from anything? Are you running maybe from God's calling on your life to represent him in the world where you live? Where you live, work, play, and learn. That's our mission, to represent God in the world. Where we live, work, play, and learn. To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So the next, starting in verse 4, start reading there. This is where the, the familiar part of the narrative starts kicking in. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. See, here he is again. That same kind of posture. The captain went to How can you sleep? Listen to the words again. Get up. God said it to him. The captain says the exact same Hebrew words. Get up. Jonah's not in a good place. He's running from God. Get up and call on your God. Now, there's, there's humor in this. You know, we may not see it as humorous because I'm, I'm not characterizing as well as a better preacher would. But Jonah and the sailors are going to be compared through, the, through this little section. I want you to watch this. Okay, so it identifies Jonah's a prophet. These sailors are pagans. They're calling out to their own gods. And any Jewish reader would look at that and go, oh, those guys, don't they get it? There's only one true God. that They're calling out the demons and, and false images and things. That's what they would hear. And they would identify with Jonah. But then Jonah, he's not going to look good through this. I just wonder, if some of you are fans of Jonah, I'm sorry to let you down. Popping your bubble. You know, Jonah is not the hero here. All right? So it says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for the calamity. Cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? And for what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they said, what have you done? Now that phrase, what have you done, word for word, is the phrase that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. He said, what have you done? 
God always confronts us with the stuff, with our stuff that, that we try to hide, we try to avoid. Because he's running from God, and he didn't think anybody's going to ever figure that out, even though he told them, this is what we do. He was a talky prophet. And it says, uh, they said, what have you done? They knew, see in verse, uh, verse 10, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So we'll stop right there. So this is an interesting story. So I said there's a there's a... A great word from God. Then there's a, a great wind. Now you may say, well, isn't it a great storm? Yeah, but it says that the Lord sent a great wind. And it's the exact same phrase that's used for the Spirit of the Lord all through the Old Testament. That God sent a wind and created a storm. The Spirit of God was behind the storm. It wasn't just an accident. God was in this. So when Jonah ran, God said, you can't run away from me. There's no place you can go that I'm not already there. You can't hide. And I'm going to seek you out. I'm going to pursue you. See, the spirit was in this. So this is the thing that we learned all the way through this book, too. God is compassionate, but God is also mighty and powerful above everything else. There's nothing that's bigger than him. There's no thing we're facing that's bigger than him. There's no thing in your life that you're facing that he's not bigger than. And he's compassionate. You don't see it at the first here. But by the last verse of this first chapter, you're going to see, wow, God is really compassionate. He's, he's not this hard-edged deity who's just waiting for us to make a mistake and... Just squash us. He's nothing like that. And you're going to see as this unfolds, Jonah had lost a whole sense of, of the father heart of God. And God's trying to restore it to him. And he's doing it in an unusual way here. So God sends a great wind. And the, the Hebrew word is gadal ruach. The great spirit of God. And then... The Spirit creates this great storm, same word, gadal, the great fish, gadal, all, 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 all from God. All of it's from God. And so this, this is a gift from God, even though they didn't see it at the moment, because what? When God's Spirit comes and He provokes a storm, sometimes storms come in different shapes and sizes, right? 
They can be big storms and little storms. They can be storms in our finances. They can be storms in our family. They can be storms in our health. They can be emotional storms. They can be career storms. I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes. But the Spirit of God is the one that's behind this. God is in everything. Remember in Romans 8, 28, that's a, that's a New Testament theme. In all things, God works for the good of them that love him and who are called according to his purpose. In all things. So God works in broken shoelaces. God works in anything and everything from the tiniest little thing to the huge storm. And the Spirit of God works. Does he cause all of them? Not every one of them, but he works in them. And he was causing this, though. And so the storm is sent after Jonah and the sailors. Now, I want to zip through this and just review it quickly for a second. Because I want you to watch. It's making this comparison between Jonah and the sailors. And in one way, they both react typically when God's Spirit engages them. Because they're us. In the story, you're either Jonah or you're the sailors. And you're going to respond like the sailors did or like Jonah did. But in many ways, they responded the same way, okay? Because they're, they're human. But, but one group of them were people who weren't quite believers. And one figure was a follower of Yahweh, of the one God of Israel. But he was acting like them. And, and in some ways, they were acting better than him. So track with me for a second. Okay, this, when the storm hits, the sailors pray to their gods, but the storm gets worse. So instead of praying, they go, okay, praying isn't working. Let's start throwing the cargo overboard. And what's the cargo? It's precious things that other people entrusted to them to take care of. And when we are running from God, we hurt other people. We let them down. We don't like to use the word betrayal because betrayal seems to be like a high bar, you know, something really big. But betrayal is just broken trust. And these sailors broke trust with people for their, for their own skin. They said, hey, let's throw the cargo overboard. Maybe the ship, you know, won't break up. Because they're also, when the, a heavy laden ship ran deeper in the water and might hit rocks and things. And as you'll see in a second, this, this ship at different points, was coming close to land. Because there was a point where they were rowing and trying to get to land. They could see land. But the storm was so severe, they were doing everything they can to survive it. So, now, but, so the, the sailors up on the deck, they're doing everything they can to get out of the storm. And the, what's Jonah doing? He's below deck, sleeping. They're mistaken one way, he's mistaken another way. That reflects Jonah's indifference. That's one thing. When we begin to run from God's calling in our lives to represent him, our lives begin to be marked by spiritual indifference. I don't care what's going on with other people. I got my deal. I'm following Jesus. I can go to church and worship. I can do X, Y, Z. That's where Jonah was at. And the sailors cared more about this crisis than Jonah did. Does that sound familiar? You ever see the church? See a crisis going on all around it? Oh, you know, they got themselves into it. You know, they'll get themselves out of it. 
That was Jonah. He's not doing anything. Now, you may argue, well, what could he have done? Well, you know, we know what he could have done. I read it to you, but Jonah didn't care about Nineveh or the pagan sailors, even though God did. And the captain comes down and sees Jonah asleep and says, what are you doing? Get up. Call on God. And that's another thing. When, when we're not at a good place, we're prayerless. Unless we're praying about ourselves and our family. And this whole book is about the heart of God for others. And Jonah's supposed to be a spiritual leader. And a, a pagan captain has to come to him and challenge him. Get up. So the sailors then cast lots to see who's at fault. Jonah gets busted. They want to know Jonah's story. This is what Jonah had been avoiding, right? He didn't want to talk about God. He didn't want to bear witness to who God was in the world. But Jonah says, listen, he, he, he gives sort of his own story. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this challenges these men's you know, pluralistic faith because they all have their own gods. I worship this God, I worship that God. And Jonah, you know, he, he just steps on some toes and tells them the truth. And so it, when, when he said that, this alarmed them. And they said, what have you done? Remember the question I said. So the sailors asked Jonah. Now at this point, they start thinking, oh, maybe, he, maybe God's in this. You know, we, gotta, we, we better cover all our bases. So what should we do, Jonah? If you're a prophet and your God's the one true God, what should we do? And Jonah says, throw me in the ocean. Now, this is the point where Jonah himself has repented. And he says, I can't go on this ship away from the Lord. The ship's going that direction, or, or it's going down. Just throw me out, because I'm the one that's brought this storm on you. And he's accepting responsibility. He, he wants to go back. I think he's thinking, I'm just going to find a piece of driftwood or something, and I'm just going to kick my way back to Israel. And what did, what did the sailors do? They refuse. That's the thing. Unbelief will always lead to disobedience. If you're, if you're disobedient somewhere in your life, you're unbelieving. You're not believing something God said. It always works that way. You may think, well, I, I believe God. Well, you don't believe about something because you're disobeying. And at this point, the sailors next, they try to row to safety because they're near the shore. But the storm just gets worse. So the, the storm's getting worse and worse and worse. And what are they doing? They're trying to do what people do when things get hard. Is Instead of surrendering to God, I'll just keep trying. I'll double down on whatever it is that got me here. I'll just keep more and more and more of the same. And finally, it says, they finally listen to the prophet and they pray and say, God, we don't know. We think he's right, but we're, you know, we're kind of confused. And they, they toss him over. He hits the water and the storm just immediately starts to calm down. It didn't say it was like, see, a lot of us think, oh, it just stopped like that. It didn't say that. In Hebrew, it says it grew calm. So it, it, immediately it starts slacking up. And the wind was blowing and their boat could move the way it was meant to. And the sailors just went, oh, this is God. <laughs> he was right. And we don't know if they saw what happened to Jonah, but Jonah says, he tells us in the next chapter, in chapter 2, that he, Jonah was not an Olympic swimmer. 
And Joey just went, he, he hit the water and went glub, 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 started sinking. And we're going to see what happened to him in just a second. But repentance is this radical thing. It was radical for Jonah. It was radical for the sailors. It just means you're saying, I'm not going to run from God anymore. I'm not going to run my own life anymore. I'm going to surrender my life into his hands. That's what repentance is. It's this radical thing. And so the, the sailors do this. There's, there's just mercy from God. And here's what storms show us. It shows us who's in control. When you get to a storm that the Spirit of God is generating, it's to show you who's in control. And it's to sift through religious truth claims and sift through your heart. Because the Spirit of God, when He comes, which we, many of us pray for, Holy Spirit, come and, and work in our nation. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He begins to expose the emptiness of different kinds of truth claims. He begins to show who Jesus is and why he's the only valid Savior. But he also sifts our hearts. The Spirit doesn't come just to mess with the world. In fact, he really comes and starts in our hearts first. That this storm was trying to get Jonah's attention, and he really was the one that responded first, which you would think, because he's the prophet, he should lead the way. Which I think says something to the church today. If we want the world to repent, we need to repent first. We need to repent first, just like Jonah repented first. So, last thing, storms are also an opportunity to speak out in Jesus' name, just like Jonah did. When we see the storm going around us, unless we care more about ourselves than the people around us, we recognize, I'm in this storm and I'm supposed to proclaim, I'm supposed to be the salt of the world, and I'm supposed to be the light of the world. I have this opportunity, this privilege of being those two needed commodities in the world where I live, work, play, and learn. And that's, that's what Jonah was drawn back to here. Now, you're going to see, he isn't all exactly aligned with God, but he's getting there. You'll see in the next couple of chapters as we look at it. So has God sent a storm into your life to get your attention? Have you been in any kind of a storm? Like I said, storms come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. So the last thing we see in verse 17, it says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So God sent a great fish to rescue Jonah. Very unlikely. And Jesus referenced this in the New Testament. He considered Jonah a historical figure. He didn't consider this a fish story. He didn't consider this a myth. He considered this a, a real-life situation. And it, and it, excuse me, it, it pointed to Jesus. Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days and three. And so we see Jonah, there's something about Jonah that, and this fish that was a picture of salvation. It said the Lord sent the fish. The fish was mercy for Jonah, for the reluctant prophet. And it, it's like being in Christ. When you put your, Jonah allowed himself 
to be thrown overboard, and he put himself in the Lord's hands, which is what we do when we say yes to Jesus. We put our lives into his hands, and then we are in Christ, like Jonah was in that fish, and then Jesus takes us. And he carries us, he carried Jonah back to Nineveh. He carries us into the life he has for us in him. And it's, just, it's a simple picture. And it's, it seems like foolish, but that's, the, that's why the fish represents the gospel. Because <laughs> it seems foolish and it seems impossible at the same time. How could just saying yes to Jesus and allowing myself to get thrown off the ship and, and turning away from doing things my way, to saying, God, I'm willing to, to do what you want me to, but I don't know how to get there. If you surrender to him, he will get you there. So I want to close with just a, an application and just and two invitations, all right? So God takes seriously. Our, our question was, what does God take seriously? He takes seriously your calling to represent him in the world. He takes it seriously. He took, that's what Jonah learned. God takes his calling the calling Jonah had to represent him to the world seriously. So seriously, he sent a storm and did this whole dramatic thing. Remember we talked about the book of Ruth? The book of Ruth didn't have any miracles in it. The book of Jonah is the exact opposite. It's like miracle after miracle after miracle. God's showing up, doing things that just shock you and surprise you. So I want to say something to you that may sound like a stretch. I believe in a simple way, the wind that you see in the natural outside this building is a picture of the wind of the Spirit trying to get your attention. The heart of this story is the Spirit of God pursuing the people of Nineveh and Jonah when Jonah was running from God. Nineveh was running from God. Jonah was running from God. And the Spirit of God pursued them. And he pursued Jonah one way, and he's going to pursue Nineveh another way. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But there's two groups of people that this wind was pursuing here. He was pursuing the sailors, and he's pursuing Jonah. And so for the sailors, the sailors had to recognize they had been worshiping False idols. The gods that they were worshiping was not the ultimate God. And they had this dramatic demonstration to get their attention. And we don't have to have had something that dramatic. We can look at this story and go, that rings true to my experience. Now, you can dismiss it and you can say, you know, I choose to keep running. <laughs> Thank you very much. Or you can be like the sailors and say, I get it. This is speaking to me. Because the sailors were running their own lives, going their own way. Everybody figured out which God they wanted to serve because that's what people in the ancient world did. There's all these gods. If you go to a place like Athens and there were thousands of gods. If you go on a trip to Athens, a vacation to Athens now, there's still hundreds of, of Athenian statues and little places to worship all over the city of Athens. And you could, whatever you want to do, you could find a God that would let you do what you want to do. If you wanted a party God, there was a party God there. 
If you want a, a hard-nosed God, you know, like a set of God, there is one of those gods there. You, you could find a God that would let you do whatever you want. But as you walked into this building today and that wind blew you around, it's not an accident we're studying this story today. God's getting your attention and saying, I want you. And so if, if you never surrendered your life to him completely, like it's, it's the picture. Jonah is the picture in both ways. Both these men, I mean, both the sailors and Jonah risked their lives, but Jonah risked his life a lot more radically, but he was a man who knew God, so you would think someone who had that kind of relationship with God would be willing to take a greater risk. Throw me off the boat into the water. I'll surrender my whole life to you, God. I don't know how you're going to get me from out of this boat that I got myself into to Nineveh, but I'm going to surrender to you to make that happen. That's all God wants from us. He doesn't want to, he, we don't have to have it figured out. Today is the day of salvation. All we have to do is just say yes and surrender our lives to Jesus. Because when we do, we're admitting we messed up. We're admitting what Jesus did on the cross, he did for us in our place. And he becomes the fish then. Then we put our trust in him, he swallows us, and then he carries us. And he takes care of us. And, and he rescues us. And who he is begins to become real to us. And who he is begins to be worked into us. And then who he is begins to be shown through us. So I want to ask you, if, if you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus today, in a second I want to pray, and I want to ask you just to do that, where you say yes to Jesus. Then there's another group of people here who Jonah represented you. And what you get out of this is you've been running from your calling. You've been saying, I'm just kind of indifferent. <laughs> I'm indifferent to where the world's at. I'm indifferent to Nineveh. Oh, I, I hope they change. And I pray a prayer once in a while. I give some money to missions. I mean, we give money so that missionaries in Brazil can, can take the gospel to those pagan Brazilians. What are we? What, what's God called us to do? He's called us to take the good news, to be salt and light here where we live, work, play, and learn. For that, that's a calling. It's part of your vocation. And we've, I, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is, is starting to stir America. And it's just like this book. It's just like this. God's trying to stir our nation, and he's trying to stir the church. And Jonah is the church. That's us. And I, I hope, because I see it. I see myself in Jonah. I see us as a community in Jonah. And if you've been running from your calling, what I want to ask you to, you to do today is do what Jonah did. I want you to radically repent of that. And in the next few weeks, we're going to look into how do you get that heart back to be able to love those people? Because if you look in your heart right now, you'll probably see what Jonah had in his heart, which is indifferent. But this book starts with the heart, this amazing heart of God 
that's full of compassion, and he's trying to speak it to Jonah. And he wants, through Jonah, to see something amazing happen because it doesn't depend on Jonah in the sense that he has to be this altogether person. He just needs to be faithful and obedient because the, the power is in the word. It's in the story. Because as soon as Jonah goes, I worship the Lord, and he tells them who he is, they all get afraid, and they're all impacted because Jonah's carrying something. You're carrying something. But will you give yourself to it? Will you risk like Jonah did? Where you live, work, play, and learn. Letting people know that you're a Hebrew. You're a follower of Jesus. And not avoiding, you know, that. You don't want to, you got to come to a place where you go, I don't want to anymore be afraid of being one of those persons. But God has to do something in your heart, but it won't start unless you see where your heart's gotten hard. So can you guys know worship team come back up? Just finish with one song. They're going to play this. Uh, the uh, Everyone needs compassion. We sang it during the set. You guys heard it. It's a familiar song. You know, Moses said at a point where the Holy Spirit came on the leaders of Israel and they began to prophesy. They began to speak like Moses did. They began to represent God. And suddenly the Spirit was starting to be poured out in Israel. And some people came to Moses and said, you know, hey, there's other people who weren't part of them that are prophesying over here. And he said, would that all the Lord's people be prophets. And in that promise was fulfilled, I mean, that, that statement, that prayer of Moses was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell and everybody can speak for God now. Everybody can represent God, not just the special people. Everybody can know him intimately and personally, the powerful spirit, the great wind. So would you stand with me for a minute? I just want to pray two prayers, two short prayers. One if you're one of the sailors, one if you're one of like people like Jonah. So just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And repeat these with me. Just I'm going to repeat a phrase, and you repeat a phrase. I'll say another phrase, and you repeat with me. And just some of you, this is just this is just a, a prayer that you can latch on to from your heart to respond to the word that God's speaking to you. And as you leave this wind that's out here, that you're going to experience again. It is a witness. God, by His Spirit, is calling you to something. So first, if you've been one of the sailors, pray with me. Father, I hear you speaking to me today. I've gone my own way for far too long. I've run from you for far too long. Thank you that Jesus died to rescue me. I surrender everything to you right now. 
Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for welcoming me into your heart today. And then for the Jonah folks here, like myself. Father, I'm sorry for running from your call to represent you to the world. I've been indifferent to the spiritual needs to those you love. 